to all, all of our campus ministers for planning such an incredible retreat for us this weekend. And all of our people who taught classes, it, 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 it truly has been a phenomenal weekend, hasn't it? Yeah. Uh, so as you know, I showed a video, I, I uh, told you about my two children on Friday. And uh, they want to send you guys a little video to say hello. Uh, so try really hard to understand what they're saying. One of them's about to be four, the other one's about to be two. Uh, so cute. Oh. Uh, wait, do we have audio? Let's run that back. Give me a thumbs up when we're ready. Okay, we're holding off. You know, you gotta start them young, right? Am I right, Georgia? Am I right? The Bible says train a child in the way they should go. And when they're old, Yet. 
Whereas LeBron James, see this face up here? That's the face you make when you know you're a bad man. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think we've done a lot of great things. We've done a lot of great things here in the Southeast to the glory of God, amen? amen. But we're just scratching the surface, guys. There's still so much more to be done. God knows we are capable of more. You know, I don't know how many of you have been watching that uh, new series on uh, Disney Plus, The Mandalorian. I think so. I've only seen but two episodes. And when I saw Baby Yoda, I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't even see this. I think many of us are like Baby Yoda. We're content with just looking cute. <laughs> with being pushed around in a stroller. But the reality is, there's so much amazing power deep down inside of us. Or maybe you're more familiar with Mr. Tony Stark. But I feel that many of us are like Tony Stark in that we enjoy the fame. We enjoy the Playboy lifestyle. But the reality is, it's time to suit up and be a hero and make some sacrifices. Spoiler if you haven't seen the movie yet. Not my fault. It's a year old. It's your fault. You know, there's a quote by James Foss. He's an uh, American religious leader, lawyer, and politician. He says, it's denial of the divinity within us to doubt our potential and our possibilities. It's denial of the divinity within us to doubt our potential and our possibilities. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8, verse 31, he said, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? The title of the message today is Release the Beast. Let's go to God in prayer. Great and awesome God, Lord, we come to you with our, our heads bowed because you are God and we aren't. God, you enable us to do anything. Lord, we call upon your Holy Spirit to speak through me, God, so that all of our hearts, all of our minds are inspired by your word. God, we pray for your Holy Spirit to give us conviction today. Father, we thank you for answering this prayer in advance. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Uh, and honestly, I'll be real with you. Romans chapter 8, when I was told this was going to be the text today, I was super excited. Romans chapter 8 is my favorite chapter in the entire Bible. And if you haven't read Romans chapter 8, I encourage you, read it today. I was going to get up and read the entire chapter but I think the Lord wanted me to just focus on a few verses today. We're going to read verses 1 through 17. Now I want to ask you this question before I read. I want to know, do you believe the Bible is the inspired word of God? Do you believe that the Bible is actually true? So let's read this passage of scripture together. It says starting in verse 1. And what I want you to do is I want to hear you say amen if something encourages you. I want to hear you say amen if something inspires you. I want to hear you say mmm if something convicts you. There you go. Now you sound like you're in church. 
says here, starting in verse 1. It says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they don't belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Amen. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, Amen. but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. And the church says, Amen. What if what I just read was actually true? Y'all with me on that? What if we just read is actually true? Look again at verse 1 and 2. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. What this is saying is that if you're in Christ Jesus, you aren't condemned. The Spirit has set you free. It's, it's, it's broken that, that cage. Does that give you some confidence and assurance, brothers and sisters? You know, I'll be honest with you guys. There are days where, where I don't feel saved. There are days where I've unfortunately given in to sin, and I don't feel like God could ever love me again. Anyone ever been there before? But this scripture is saying that if I'm in Christ Jesus, if you're in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. That's just a feeling. That is not a fact. You know, my kids... They can let me down or disappoint me every single day. 
They can be disobedient, and I have to discipline them every single day. But I will never love them any less. And that's just me, a humanly father. So imagine God's love for us. That no matter what we do, no matter what you do, God will always love you. Look again at verse 11. It says that if the spirit of him who raised you from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. The Holy Spirit, if you have it, what does this mean? This means that we have the power to overcome any temptation. This means that you can stay connected to God no matter where you go. You know, my children, as a father, that regardless to where I am or where they are, they are always on my heart and always on my mind. It doesn't matter where I am. It doesn't matter where they are. Why is that? Because they're mine. And if you have God's Holy Spirit, you are God's. You are always on God's mind. You are always on God's heart. Then let's look again at verse 15. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you'll live in fear again. But rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. This is a call to have faith over fear. I'm going to go ahead and say that again. This is a call to have faith over fear. You know, when my children are scared of something, what they'll do is they'll run over to me and they'll try to grasp my leg or give me a hug or hold my hand and they'll, they'll try to show me whatever it was that they're scared of. But as they grasp my hand, as they hold on to me, their father, they're not scared anymore because they have a sense of security that whatever it is, I can take care of it. What do you do with your fears? Do you run away or do you run to God? You know, in the world we live in today, there's a lot to be fearful of. The coronavirus. You know, when Kobe Bryant passed, our mortality was brought right to the forefront. The potential of World War III, a presidential election, there's so much to be fearful of. How about our battle to stay sexually pure? How about the, the thought that we, we, we want to have an influence on our families spiritually? How about the thought of, of sharing your faith, of having integrity in the classroom, in the dorms, trusting God with your future? You ever fear any of those things? Yeah. But the question is, what do you do with your fears? Do you run away or do you run to God? It's time for us to pray through our fears. What I want us to do is I want us to view life without obstacles, just opportunities. Y'all understand what I'm talking about? No obstacles, just opportunities. Too often we look at our fears, we look at the battle, but we don't look at our commander. We look at the battle, but not the commander. We, we fret over what we don't have, and we don't consider who we have. It's not about who you are, it's about who you are. You're chosen, an heir of God, a co-heir of Christ. A vessel of God's spirit. There are no obstacles, just opportunities. I was thinking about Jackie Robinson. You know, our country just recognized Black History Month. Jackie Robinson in 1947, the first African-American to play Major League Baseball in the modern era. 
when he started at first base for the Brooklyn Dodgers. And Jackie Robinson wasn't just this normal black guy who wanted to play baseball, no. He was Rookie of the Year that year. He was the NL MVP in 1949. He was a six-time All-Star. He played in the World Series six times and helped the Dodgers win a World Championship in 1955. He was so iconic that nobody will ever wear his number again. It was retired by the entire Major League Baseball. Except for one day, there's a holiday they recognize, Jackie Robinson Day, where everyone wears his number. But do you think in the 40s and the 50s it was easy for him to play baseball during segregation and racism, bigotry? Absolutely not. He endured many, many obstacles. But if you ask him, did you have obstacles? He'd say, I didn't have obstacles. I had opportunities. He didn't view life with obstacles and then just say, oh, there's too much in my way, I can't do it. No, 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 he paved the way for men like Martin Luther King through nonviolence that challenged the tradition and basis of segregation in America. Before there was a Martin Luther King, there was a Jackie Robinson. Mm -hmm. And then because of men like that, many of us can play sports freely today. You know, God loves a victory story. And the Bible is full of inspirational stories. God has a way of taking what was damaged, what was overlooked, or what was even broken, and making it something special. God can use any single person in this room. I love this saying right here. You've probably heard it before. Bear with me. How God has used many men and women in the Bible. Noah, who we read about with the ark, he was drunk. Abraham was too old. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob was a liar. Leah, unfortunately, she was ugly. Joseph was abused. Moses had a stuttering problem. Gideon was afraid. Samson had a mullet and was a womanizer. Rahab, she was a prostitute. Jeremiah and Timothy were too young. David was an adulterer and a murderer. Elijah was suicidal. Isaiah preached naked. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Job went bankrupt. John the Baptist ate bugs. Peter denied Christ. <laughs> the disciples fell asleep while praying. Martha worried about everything. The Samaritan woman was divorced more than once. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul was too religious. Timothy had an ulcer. And what was Lazarus? Lazarus was dead. So my question is, what's your problem? What is your problem? If God can use those guys, what is your problem? What God can do, he'll turn your mess into a message. He'll turn your test into a testimony. He'll take you from trial to trial, a victim to victory. God can use you. There are no obstacles. There are no obstacles in God's eyes. Just opportunities. So what do you do with that? Brothers and sisters, this is what I want to challenge you to do. It's your turn. It's your turn. If you're inspired or encouraged in any way by what God can do or has done through people you read about or people you've watched, the question you've got to ask yourself now is, well, what's my role? How can God use me? It's time for us to get in the game. Stop watching from the sideline. You know, I want to call out first to all those who've been raised going to church their whole life. Whether it be in our church or any church, let me tell you something. God has been investing in you since you were a child to do something great for his kingdom. 
You know, I think about Timothy. You know, the books of 1st and 2nd Timothy were written to Timothy from Paul. Timothy grew up going to church his whole life. He went on to leave the church of Ephesus, which was probably 40,000 people. He was a kid that was just sitting in the church pews like us. I want to call to all of us who have been going to church the majority of our lives. Get out the cage. Get in the game. Do something good for God. I want to call to all those who have positions of influence within their student organizations or jobs or their dorm rooms and their RAs, whatever it is. If you have a position of influence, get in the game. The book of Acts, so many converts in the book of Acts were of people who had influence and then were able to help so many more meet Christ. And I fear that many of us who have positions of influence are cheating God by not using that for the glory of the kingdom. Get in the game. Get out the cage. Or if you have the gift of leadership, Jordan just got up here and spoke about it. We have 32 amazing churches across the Southeast, but only five with campus ministry staff. And if you have the gift of leadership, get in the game. There's so many people that need to be led to Christ. I remember when it clicked for me, but it wasn't until my junior year of college. And I remember I came across this scripture. You might have read it once or twice. It's in 2 Corinthians 5. The Bible says, for Christ's love compels us. Christ's love compels us. Because we're convinced that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves. But for him who died for them and was raised again. I read that scripture. I said, I can't just live this comfortable life. Going to class, coming back to my home, and then watching reruns of Sports Center or Fresh Prince of Bel Air. God made me do more than this. I need to get in the game. And so I look back now and I'm, and I'm thinking, man, God was able to do some great things with me from then on after my junior year of college, but I wasted two years of just being selfish. So many people in my classes that I, I should have been sharing with that now I look back and I'm and I look at some of their Facebook pictures or social media posts and I see them throwing their lives away and I think, I could have, I could have said something. Yeah. I could have offered some help. I could have shared Jesus. I wasted time. I hope it clicks for you this weekend. Christ's love needs to compel you. You know, I think Jesus' disciples, at one point within his ministry, they got comfortable. In John chapter 4, and, you know, he was trying to encourage them to go share their faith. And they were like, we don't think it's time yet. And uh, he was trying to get them to get out their cage and stop making excuses and get in the game. And in John chapter 4, what he said to them is, thus the saying, one sows and another reaps. It's true. I send you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work. You reap the benefits of their labor. Brothers and sisters, we're all reaping the benefits of Jesus Christ, aren't we? Yeah. He's done all the hard work. All we have to do is live a righteous life. We're reaping the benefits of the apostles who started the church. Now we can live freely. A lot of you are reaping the benefits of people in your campus ministry from five years ago who did so much hard work. Yeah. I think of a man named Tereggie Coleman. Yeah. Who was like our only disciple at Kennesaw State just 10 years ago. And he was sharing his faith with every single thing that walked by him. Do we have any people from Kennesaw State in the room today? That's the legacy of one man. You're reaping the benefits of Tereggie Coleman. 
My question is, in 10 years, who's going to reap the benefits of your labor? It's time to get in the game and release the beast. Like I said, I've heard amazing victory stories of what God is doing throughout the Southeast. What God's doing in the state of Georgia, amen? amen. What God's doing in the state of South Carolina, amen?
Jasmine got out the cage. Let's share with you another brother who got out the cage. A brother named Reggie Thomas. Reggie was one of my roommates in college. And Reggie was that guy that owed probably everyone in the ministry money. Reggie was that guy who, who suffered from showing up late to almost everything. But Reggie, one, one, one spring break, when Reggie was my roommate, he, he did a campus swap. What that is, it's when you take your spring break and you decide to be a missionary for a week in another campus ministry. And at the time, we had just planted a church in Clemson, South Carolina. Amen? And Reggie went to go help out Clemson, and whenever we came back, Reggie didn't come back. I said, Reggie, where are you? He said, I'm going to stay right here. I said, Reggie, rent's due. He said, I'll pay my rent, but I'm going to stay right here. And Reggie helped build the Clemson church. And he stayed there until we sent out the church in Myrtle Beach. And then Reggie said, I'm going to go to Myrtle Beach and help plant the church. Reggie got out the cage. He'll probably never be in the full-time ministry. That doesn't matter. He heard the calling to get out the cage and be a missionary. I'm going to share about another lady some of you guys might know. Of. Her name is Azaree Stevens. This one's great. Azaree grew up in the Triangle Church. Probably North Carolina. Incredibly talented and gifted basketball player. She decided to take her talents to Duke University and play basketball. Her first two years, she became Duke's highest scorer, leading scorer, leading rebounder. But unfortunately, Azaree was struggling with living a double life. And Azaree was in sin. She knew, she, needed, she, knew, she knew she needed a restart. And so she decided she wanted to transfer schools. And so she wanted to transfer to the University of Connecticut. Where me and my wife were leading the church at the time, which also happens to have one of the best basketball programs. But she came up there and she said, Look, I'm going to be honest, I have not been living righteously. And for months, Azrael studied repentance to get her life back together. And her first year at UConn, because of NCAA regulations, she couldn't play basketball. She couldn't travel with the team, which was probably for her good because she needed to get her life together. And we started giving Azrael a vision. We said, Azrael, your basketball team, that's going to be your ministry. And then God has a way of working. Because that first year there, unfortunately, UConn lost in the final four of the NCAA tournament. It was their first time losing in four years in the NCAA tournament. And the spirit of the, the, the organization was crushed. And I said to Azrael, this is a good opportunity to share your faith with your teammates. And that very next Sunday, Azrael got up in front of the whole church and shared her repentance story. Eight of her teammates went to church that day. Few of them responded, started studying the Bible. One of them became a disciple of Jesus Christ. Her name's Gabby Williams. She was the defensive player of the year, two-time national champion, captain of the basketball team. And then after the next year, both of those two, Azra and Gabby, were each drafted into the WNBA. Gabby's drafted number four, Azra drafted number six. Now here, here's where the Holy Spirit does some funny stuff. Just three weeks ago, Azrae, who was on the Dallas Wings, got traded to the Chicago Sky to play with Gabby Williams. It was the first Holy Spirit-initiated trade. And now we have two sisters in Christ playing on the same team in the WNBA because Azrae got out the cage. The last story I want to share is a young man named Rob Burns. Excuse me, not Rob Burns. Many of you know Rob Burns. But Rob knows. Rob is a disciple of the church that I'm in Boston. Rob, before he was a Christian, that guy, the white dude, 
Jake Gomes. And it's so funny because to advertise himself, he just put his flyers on random trains and buses and everything like that. One day a disciple picked it up because he thought it looked funny. Rob was met, started studying the Bible, and then when he confessed, when he said he used to want to be a rapper, that same brother who picked up the thing said, wait a minute, you used to want to be a rapper? Goes into his room, pulls out the flyer and says, is this you? And he says, yep, that's me. Rob thought the Holy Spirit was moving in that moment. Rob became a disciple. Now Rob works a secular career. He's married to his amazing wife, Furby, and while working full time, leads a campus ministry in Boston. As a guy who works a nine to five job, Rob stepped out the cage. Brothers and sisters, now it's your time to step out the cage. Let's not wait for people to prompt us. The Holy Spirit's been prompting you for a long time. In order to do that, you need to do two things. One, you've got to have the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Acts 2.38 simply says, repent and be baptized. And you will get the forgiveness of your sins in the gift of the Holy Spirit. Whoa, wait a minute, preacher, I've never read that before. Be baptized and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you want God to move in your life like that, you've got to have the Holy Spirit. Right. But then secondly, when you get it, 1 Thessalonians 5.19, you can't quench the Spirit. A lot of times the Spirit wants us to do stuff. And we tell the Spirit, no, I don't want to go. No, I'm scared. No, I'm busy. No, send someone else. And we quench the Spirit. It's time for us to stop quenching the Spirit. It's your turn. I want to encourage all of us to get a kingdom dream that we can live uncaged. Are you with me on that? You want to know what one of my kingdom dreams is? One of my kingdom dreams is to help build a campus ministry in the country of Jamaica. Why is that? There are no campus staff in the entire country, the entire Caribbean. There are no elders in the entire Caribbean. My family's Jamaican. I've been able to go there numerous times to encourage, to work with Hope Worldwide, to preach at the church, and I see the need. And my kingdom dream, me and my wife's kingdom dream, is to be missionaries in the country of Jamaica. What's your kingdom dream? What are your goals when it comes to the kingdom? Do you have evangelism goals? Make evangelism goals. Maybe it's, I want to share my faith with one person a day. Maybe one of your goals in your ministry is, I want to go on a date with somebody once a month. That's not a bad goal. Sisters could have that goal too. Brothers, wouldn't you like that? Okay. Someone said, yes, we would. <laughs> how about the goal? How about this goal? I'm not going to miss one meeting of the body. Ain't that a great goal? That regardless of what my syllabus looks like and how much work I have, I am not going to miss Bible talk. Yep. I am not going to skip midweek. I'm not going to miss church. What if your goal is to lead a Bible talk one day? How about to go on a campus swap during spring break? That's daring. That's bold. To devote an entire week to be a missionary in another campus ministry? How about after you graduate to go on the one-year challenge? To take a year out of your life to help build and develop a church that's just small and needs it. Who, who's the brother who's in Chattanooga? Wasn't that Goose? I mean, isn't that phenomenal? To just take a year to go somewhere else and just say, here am I, send me. How about to join a mission team? My guess is there's going to be a call. Hey, we need people to go and help plant Tuscaloosa, to help plant Ole Miss. And you've got to be that person. We need to stop looking at other people and say, here am I, send them. No, we got to 
who came out to the leadership class yesterday. I think it's time for many of us to say, I need to be a leader in my campus ministry. Or some of us to say, I need to consider going into the full-time ministry. Using my talents to serve God's kingdom full-time. You know, I want to encourage you, on your ride back, before you put your headphones in, before you fall asleep, I want to encourage you guys, by cars, talk about two things. One, what was your biggest takeaway from this retreat? What was your biggest takeaway from this retreat? Then the thing I want you to do after that is, now what do you want to do with that? What do you want to do with that? And it can be a short-term or a long-term vision. But discuss it in your car. And then you want to do, then what I want you to do? Pray as a car. Isn't that powerful? Yeah. I mean, we just had a weekend of inspiration, of confessing our sin, of listening to advice, of talking about Jesus. Now we're talking about a life outside the cage. What are we going to do on our ride back? We're going to talk about, this is what I want to do. This is what I took away. Now, let's go to God. Let's pray together about this. And then go ahead and fall asleep. Someone's got to stay awake for the driver. Can I get in under that? Yeah. And I'm just going to say it. And don't forget to give your driver gas money. Give us all things. Who will bring any charge? 
Christ shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. As it's written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Check this part out. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 